Hi, I'm Kate from South Africa, and I truly believe in humans. That's Kate, an incoming senior at Minerva University. This week, we're diving deep into Kate's story on humans of Minerva. Welcome to Humans of Minerva, a podcast which captures the interesting stories of humans at Minerva. I'm your host, Jonathan, and today I'll be sitting down with a very special guest, Kate from M24. Hi, Kate. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. I guess it's coming to the end of summer and it's been a, been a busy one. What are your plans for the rest of summer? Such a good question. I'm actually deciding that right now I might be flying to Spain to tomorrow. I might not. <laughs> oh my word. But I'll just be heading home before heading off to Taipei. The nice semester. Very excited about that. In true Minerva fashion. <laughs> it's the spontaneous traveling and whatnot. Yeah. Wow. And I know throughout the summer you've obviously been doing the psych lab and we'll dive into that later. Yeah. But outside of that, what have you been doing to wind down and just relax? I think I've been really trying to pay attention to the fact that this is the last summer before I graduate, which is both terrifying, but very exciting. I think there's been some really fantastic people in SF this summer. So I've got to re-get to know SF and re-get to know the people in SF. And I think that that's been really lovely. Been trying to walk to the pier as much as possible. Mm. You'll miss that when you leave SF. Like Oof. that walk to the pier and just being able to see the view is just, it's so, so special. So I've been trying to do that and get all the steps in that I can after India where you can walk anywhere. Yeah, no, I'm taking tuk-tuks or just standing in the resort. Yeah, of course. Exactly. With food poisoning. <laughs> so that's your option. Um, uh, what are some of your favorite spots in San Francisco? Because for my internship, one of the things I'm doing is like putting together a new map for the city, just like plug the best spots. One of the reasons we first connected is because I went to school in South Africa and you are South African. <laughs> but your background is far more complicated than that. Can you take me back to the very first few years of your life, where you were and what that experience was like? Yes, so South Africa was where it all started. I was born there and lived there for the first four years and my entire extended family back to like my great, great, great grandparents of South Africa. But when I was four, my dad got a job in the UK. So I ended up moving to the UK for a couple of years. Then I traveled the US in a caravan for seven months. Okay. I mean, let's let's dig into the UK. I guess you're going to London soon as a part of your Minerva rotation. Do you have memories from growing up in the UK or places that you're going to revisit? It's a good question. I was there from ages four to six, so I don't remember specific places. I can remember like what my house looked like and what the school I went to looked like, but I can't remember anything more than that. But I am still in touch with my friends from when I was in school there. So from when I was five years old, I have this group of like three friends wow. that we used to be best friends with. I still remember all of their names. I saw them when I was like 13 and I'm hoping to see them again now. So it's like a good 13 years of in between every time I see them. But I'm very excited to see them. And then I've also, I've had like a weird connection to the UK my whole life. I went to a British school. So all of my friends ended up in university in the UK. So they're all in London now and I'm going to go see them. And that's just, I don't know. I think I'm really, really excited about London that chance to kind of reconnect with different parts of my life mm. as well. Right? Yeah. That's incredible. Was it difficult making that transition? I think at four years old, not so much. It was just like life. I think the biggest thing that I actually do remember very specifically was that I didn't know, and I don't know if you realize this too, but I didn't know that there was South African English. Like mm. the specific word that we say in South Africa that you don't say anywhere else in the world. And I didn't realize that it's not English. And I remember going to the UK and saying things like cookie. 
Like you draw with a cookie or you look at that piece. And people were like, what are you on about? Like, that's a marker. And people would call me out of the and And that was the first time I became aware of, like, everyone's still speaking English. And I grew up speaking English, but about my identity being different, even though it wasn't, I don't know. It was, it was a very interesting realization at four years old that not everyone called it a cookie. But I think, so I didn't know what to say then, and I was very happy with that. I think the only time that his thumbs get difficult when we started to move was when I was like 16. And mm-hmm. like that move was difficult because you kind of like set in the place that you're in. Of course, yeah. And we'll, we'll get there. But I'm curious about the caravan life because recently, I don't know what YouTube is trying to nudge me to do, but I'm... all the recommendations <laughs> I get is like 30 minute video. I, I'm living in a caravan or there's this British guy goes by the name of Hardest Geezer and he's running the entire length of Africa. He does like 50, 60 kilometers per day and they just sleep in their van. Sometimes strangers will meet them and be like, oh, come stay for free in my hotel. That's so cool. But they've got a unique caravan life and previous guests at least had a caravan life. What was that like for you? I mean, I was small. So I was six and I turned seven. I remember I turned seven in New Orleans when I was... The winner of that. Okay. I don't remember much of it. I remember me and my older brother used to play on Nintendo DS. And that was like the coolest thing because I had two Nintendogs. And they were very, very important at that point in my life. But I do remember that there were three kids in the caravan, my mom and my dad. And that was a very small place to have five people. But it was always so much fun. It was so cool to be able to go like, hike in the morning and then come back and drive to a different state and things like that. I remember my homeschooling lessons were to email my grandma. I love that because I would share that I'd to and I would like try and figure out all the words and ask my mom how to spell things. I remember lots of emailing and we I saw snow for the first time and that was that was really cool. I've never seen snow like that. It was really cool. Yeah. It was it was really good fun. I've actually started sending emails to my sister instead of just WhatsApp messages. Oh, which she so finds she's the only person that would appreciate it, but I feel like there's a lost art in sending like a letter and taking the time to like stroke to this message to somebody. Mm. So yeah, there's nostalgia in that email to the grandma. Mm. But yeah, beyond then, where did you guys move to next? So the reason we were there was because my dad got a job and we started the next year. So my dad was like, either I can sit here and wait a year and we could just sit in the UK or we can just use the time and go do something that he's always wanted to do. He's a big adventurer. He loves fishing and hiking and all of those things. So it was a really cool thing to put my um, to do. But then after that, we moved to Sydney. So I was in Sydney for three years, from ages seven to 10, and lived at a super small town, a weirdly South African town. There was so much oh. South Africans in that town. I don't know if anyone's been to Sinaibs, but if you ever do, you'll hear a ridiculous while of regards. So I never thought they lived here in Australia. But yeah, I don't remember much from Australia. Australia was just like, whatever a seven-year-old does, like you, you go to school, you come home, I used to walk the dog and then come back. And that was, that was the day. And um, one of my favorite parts about doing this podcast is I can shamelessly stalk the Instagram, LinkedIn, <laughs> Google search, six page of my get assistant. And so I kind of did a deep dive and I saw some photos of you holding saxophone, you holding a guitar and you at a... It was like a five seconds of summer concert. Oh, so that's a, the last meme. <laughs> How did you play a big part of your life at the age of like 10 years old? Mm-hmm. I think music has been a very, very big part of my life. I started learning piano when I was six and 
the whole reason why it was my dad was very into music when he was younger. He used to play the band. I found this out the other day that he was in an acapella group. I didn't know then. Cool. He was in like a really famous university acapella group. Anyway, he just revealed that nonchalantly the other day. So when I was 10 years old, we had the option to learn three instruments at school. You could either learn the flute, the clarinet, or the saxophone. I don't know why, but those are the only three that my school offered. That is so cool. And the only instrument that my dad couldn't play and hadn't been trying to play for really long, but he just couldn't get it right, was the saxophone. So I was like, okay, this is <laughs> my time to show off a little bit. I was like, I'll learn the saxophone. So I did. I started learning it when I was 10. And from there, I took lessons. I was in a bunch of orchestras and show choirs. We did like Annie, Jesus Christ Superstar. I was also in a jazz band, Jazz Patet. I really, really liked the community that came with music. So you would join a band or something and then you'd be kind of engulfed in this theater performance. And then you have these friends that are coming to rehearsals and you see them like twice or three times a week and you are all part of this thing that you're working on together. And I feel that's one thing I really miss about high school is you kind of had those groups that you could work on things together and collaborate and make these awesome performances. But yes, music was a very important part of growing up because I used to play a lot of music with my dad and my mom also plays piano, so that also helped. And I think I lost touch with it at the start of Manava. I listen to music all the time, like it's a very important thing for me, but coming to Manava, you don't really have access to like, I can't let around the saxophone and yeah. I have extra nine kilograms to carry around with me. But I think that recently I've started to like, try and see if I can find a guitar whenever I'm anywhere or like see if I can play music again. And I think it's, it's an important part of life for me. Do you feel like it's a, excuse me if this sounds cliche, but I can kind of, Therapy almost. Also, yeah, I've been talking about this a lot. I don't know if you've ever had Emma Town on the podcast. I haven't spoken to her, but I listened to her podcast. She was on there. Okay. And I was just like enamored by some of her opinions. I reached out to her on Instagram. Emma Town is just like a, like a ball of starlight in a human. I have no other way to describe her. But I was talking to her about music therapy the other day and about different forms of art therapy that you can use. And I think that using music to express yourself, at least to like, even if it's just to yourself, like listening to music when you're upset or listening to music when you're super happy, I think that it's a very, very important outlet. And it's, yep, I think I do find it quite therapeutic sometimes. Like, you know, a hot girl walk down to the pier with like <laughs> good music playing. Could yeah. Music. Like it fixes anything in the world. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I'm curious what your relationship with your dad has been like, because you've mentioned him several times already. <laughs> has he been a role model or just an influence? So I think I'm super close with both of my parents. My mom is also just one of the most incredible humans in the world. I miss them both very much. They're great, great, wonderful people. I think with my dad, we're just really, really similar. Like he'll tell me stories about him in high school, university, and be like, wow, I did that last week. Mm. Like it's ridiculous how similar our personalities or our approaches to many things are. And I think I'm quite different from my mom in that way. So me and my dad get along because we have those similarities. I know that sounds very weird, but I've seen my dad grow up a lot recently. Like in the last 10 years, he's one of the only adult grown men I know that are very in touch with his emotions and mm-hmm. mental health. And I think that that's a big thing for a South African man because it's often taught to men in South Africa that you can't, and it's in many places, yeah. South Africa seen it the most, that you can't sort of have emotions or have problems and remember of like a sort of thing. Or if you do, you go get a beer, you're fine. But he's grown a lot in that space. And I think that I've really respected him a lot for that. Yeah. And it's also just hilarious. I find him very funny. Instant. Like you said, that idea of, oh, a man should cry and be in touch with his emotions. It's true across the board. I did really experience it in South Africa. Even with the most progressive men that I'd 
be speaking to, they'd still embody that hardness. And yeah. I remember my friend's dad, he'd always come to our field hockey games. And if he saw somebody complaining, he'd shout, eat a bag of cement and harden up. <laughs> <laughs> my grandpa's head to manage. say, oh, don't be a wuss. Like, that's the big thing about city. Okay. What were some of your biggest interests growing up? Like, I know now you're into psychology, but more broadly, neurology and how the brain works and music and what were some of the earliest things you remember being obsessed with? Okay, it's it's a good question. I used to be obsessed. So it depends how far back you're asking. No, you choose. If you're asking like six, seven-year-old kid, I don't know if you remember those Rainbow Magic fairy books. No. They were my biggest obsession. I was obsessed with fairies. My grandma gave me this book of fairy potions and spells that you can do to summon different things. <laughs> this little like witch fairy. I think summon things on the weekend was hilarious. And my parents used to buy me these books and would pretend that the fairies had dropped them off. So they'd leave them oh, like in those little and they'd sprinkle glitter and colouring bits of the books to show them that like fairies come to them in. I'm obsessed with that blast one. It's one of my favourite memories of being little. I think I've already covered so many countries, but uh, the list doesn't it doesn't wait. I mean, when I was on your LinkedIn, I saw <laughs> the final line said, reach out to chat about anything from education to India, Indonesian puppetry, <laughs> to the best on African descent. <laughs> when does Indonesia come into the story? How? Yeah. So Indonesia is actually the place that I spent the most of my life. Oh, okay. It's the place that I can be dropped into and understand the best. I speak fluent Indonesian. <laughs> wow. After Australia, I went to Indonesia when I was 10 and I lived there six years. So it's also really super formative years, like 10 to 16 years. Sorry where you kind of figure out who you are and what kind of friends you like, what you're interested in, a little bit of who you want to be, but that comes a lot more later on. And I think that I'm so incredibly privileged and lucky to have spent those years there. It is just one of the most incredible places on earth, I think. The way that people treat other people and the way that they treat life, everyone is so kind and so friendly. And I'm so glad that I got to learn the language then because I got to have a lot of local friends. There was a town right behind where I lived that I used to like go and teach English on the weekends and I had this group. They were all girls between the ages of eight and 12 and I loved them. Like they were just such lovely people and I used to talk to them about Indonesia and about, they couldn't understand that I was from Africa for them and me. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like the biggest revelation with them about But it was, I don't know, it's, it was a very important part of my like life that I grew up with. I went to a British school there, which is why all my friends are British. There, there's so many things I want to dive into, but one thing that I'm, been curious about is your relationship to your, I guess, national identity. And you've lived in all these places, but you are South African. And I think with South Africa in particular, it's in a rocky period where things aren't so great economy-wise, but even socially, there are lots of problems. And that's definitely the narrative. Like everybody's like, oh, we're the next Zimbabwe and everything's going to shit. Is that your perception of South Africa? And how how are you able to juggle being critical of the nation that you're from, but also feeling nostalgia and loving it. Yeah. What's that relationship like? It's a tough balance for any South African that left South Africa. I don't know if you've ever seen this or if you've experienced this, but it's the weirdest thing that if you hear a South African accent over like out of South Africa, you have to talk to them. Like you need to, you just have to. I was in um, Denver the other day. I went to a ramen restaurant and there was a lady sitting next to me who had a really strong South African accent. And I was like, baby, I'm wrong. Really? 
it's not because I know in Denver is really bad <laughs> but I oh honey there's a South African girl here but I ended up talking to her when the person that was sitting next to her left and she had not met another South African for the past three years she was so excited and she was like always jumping out of her chair so excited that I was South African we ended up talking she lives in LA and her dad was there and her dad had been traveling around the world on a motorbike just South African things and then eventually they they left and the waiter came up to us afterwards and um, I got her number and the waiter went, oh, don't worry about your bill, they pay for it. Oh. And I was like, what? That's ridiculous. There were three of us at the table. They didn't even speak to the other people at the table. They were, it was just such a South African thing to do that you, I was so excited about meeting each other and seeing other South Africans around the world. I, I don't know. I really like that story. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. And I've ended up texting her quite a lot. She's just such a wonderful human. And it's so nice to hear how she managed to get out of South Africa. I mean, she's going back now and it's very cool. But back to the original question. So I have a South African passport. I've gone back since I was small at least once or twice a year. My entire family is there. So I think for me, that's what makes South Africa South Africa. Is that my Oman my brother, like my other grandparents and all of my cousins are older. So I think for me, that's what makes South Africa home is that I can go back and see family. But there's also just something about the South African culture that feels so much like home, even mm. though I didn't grow up with it. And I think that trying to balance that like it's like an energy. It's like a love and energy that people have towards each other, despite hating the government and hating the CASCOM and all of the other problems in South Africa. They have this deep respect and love for each other, and you only notice it once you leave. So I think that if you could get all South Africans to like leave for like, well, then go back. I think it would be a better country. Is the government takes a ten percent sample? We're gonna move you over to India, and then we'll ship you back. But just keep the sample going. It's like an internship. Yeah. I love that. I guess, and this is true of many Minervans, like you, you live in all of these different countries and you're documented on your Instagram or YouTube and from the outside, it's this beautifully flowery experience, but um, have, has there been any difficult period, whether that's growing up or throughout your time in, in Minerva? Yeah, I think. So the hardest move for me was when I was 16 and I moved to Singapore. This is the last on the list, I promise. And then yeah, <laughs> I never from here. But that was that the sixth country in Group 2. And for me, that was the most difficult because I was at a point in time where I had made the best friends I'll ever make. They were at what I thought at that time, like the most important things in the world. Like I couldn't leave. And I mean, it was an hour and a half flight away, but still moving schools at that age is tough. Mm. Like going into the last two years of high school, having to make new friends and understand a new curriculum and understand all the people there um, was definitely difficult. I think that was probably my hardest move. I ended up making fantastic friends and I was still in jazz bands and all those kind of things. And this how tried me to you, but I did everything I could. I did. Wow. <laughs> I did everything I could at that point. But I think that was probably the hardest move. But I felt that I would leave Jakarta or Indonesia and lose those friends, but they're the people I'm seeing in Spain. They're the people that I've tried to see every year since then. And I think it does prove that when you find people with that you have that bond with, you always end up seeing them. Yeah. They're always around. Yeah. So I think that was probably the hardest move. And I'm sure Mudavans will feel this too. When you start to feel comfortable in a place, it's like a very bittersweet feeling because you know that you need to be enjoying every one of those moments, but you know that you're going to leave soon. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have that balance where you're trying to appreciate everything but then also there's a part of you that feels like there's no way to appreciate it enough for what it is it's a tough feeling and you'll see as you start to move through the cities being able to balance that appreciation for an amazing city and also keeping yourself open to being appreciative of the next city as well it's tough but it's something you love to do and so obviously 
the people that you meet in the city and the friends that you have is integral to the experience that you have here. And maybe this is a selfish question because I'm curious if you have advice for making good friendships or even what it is you look for in a friend. Are you intentional about the friends that you choose or does it just seem to stick and you're a magnet or what? I still understand this question. I don't have an answer fully yet, but it's actually the thing I love the most at Monago before, because in international schools, it's very much that you just friends with everyone and then half of them will leave the next year, half of them will leave the next year, but everyone sort of just gets along with everyone because you, you know that it's not going to last long. But coming into Manova, I came in with that mindset because it's all that I've sort of known. And I've met people now that didn't grow up with that, that grew up in a stable place that had friends since they were three and mm-hmm. it's the same friend that they had. And it's really made me learn how to commit to a friendship in a different way. So I have always been like loyal to friends and have loved my friends very much so, but have never in my head planned for a future with those people because it's never been possible. Mm. So I think my biggest learning at Tuanava is to reduce the breath and go deeper into friendships, which I've never really allowed myself to do because it's never been possible. But I think that doing that in Manama has been one of the biggest ways that I've grown in the past couple of years and to really be open to people and really committing to friendships long term. How do you reduce the breath? Because I guess the problem I sometimes face is I just am a bit of a yes man. Like somebody will be like, oh, let's grab coffee or, oh, don't you want to spend the weekend doing this? And I'll be like, I don't even know them very well. And I may not like love them, but I'll just say yes. Is, yeah, how do you? Yeah. And it was my biggest problem at first year because I ended up just not sleeping. Like I would be like, okay, absolutely. Let me do my assignment at 4 a.m. And then I can get up at 6 a.m. And then I get, oh, it's just ridiculous. I used to send this to everything. But I think that that's great for the go first year. I think they did, like, lean into it, meet as many people as you can, but you'll start seeing later on when the work starts to pile up, and you, that, when you do that all the time, you kind of spread yourself thin, and that means that the people that you've, I don't know, if you were to imagine the amount that you share with people as like a vat of water, if you were to spread it all the way around many different types of people, then the people that are closest to you are still sharing that spread with many other people. Like, yeah. I suppose, like, that you... I don't know how to explain it. It's like, you need to pour more water in certain people sometimes. Yeah. Even that weird enough. I've been treating the eight, like, waterboarding radio. But you really need to, like, put... I think you need to treat certain people as closer because when you get to those very stressful, intense scenarios, like, you need to have your people. And I think that that's really important. And that's one thing that Manam told me is to like really put more fire into side of the people that you want to be spider attack with and like that you want to be around if it's important. Yeah. And I guess coming to present day, this summer you've been a part of Manava's first psych lab. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, you're kind of like leading that group what has that that experience been like yeah so i was offered to be the lab manager for the psych lab which was just so much fun i loved it it was a lot of work but i think that Minerva is really pushing into some very cool directions in terms of allowing people and also just taking advantage of the amazing connection we have overseas so the biggest issue in psychology research is that it's on weird populations so like white educated i'm not gonna remember the whole acronym but 
rich democratic populations, normally just American undergrounds. And I think that we have this really, really cool opportunity. We can do research in Argentina and Korea and Taiwan, and that's just incredible that we have access to that. So I think the fact that Manova hasn't gone into that yet is really, because there's like so many things that we can do then. So yes, I had the opportunity to do that and it was so much fun. I think that I'm really excited to see where the psychology lab is going to go in the future. I think it's a very cool move forward of Manova. And yeah, you can sign up for a study and get a little Amazon gift card. Oh, yeah, go, cheeky little plug there. I <laughs> couldn't resist. And without breaching any confidentiality agreements, <laughs> what have you guys been researching? So it's been a bit of a mixed bag. The basics of the lab is looking at music and mental thriving. So about how different sound can affect the way people think. So it's things like, I cannot work without listening to music. I put my big headphones on and I have my lo-fi and that's it's almost like a pumbled dog to myself in the brain <laughs> when I just need to lo-fi and working. And weirdly enough, this topic is not researched at all. There's like a small little subset of people that have research on background music and learning, but it's a really new field. Like I would have thought to be way more into it than there is. So we're kind of looking at the different effects of auditory stimuli on learning and on commission. Mm. But we do want to expand out and start looking at things like mental health, cross-cultural psychology. I'm actually potentially doing my capstone about developmental psychology and running like a study online with kids. There's like a, a very cool direction that the lab is moving into where we're kind of hosting these so small labs, looking at both music, mental health, cross-cultural psychology and learning, which I think is really big within the novel and I think it would be very cool if we can find some new hypotheses and ideas and stuff like that. Is there, to do with developmental psychology, is there a particular ideas in there that catch your interest? What is it about that? Kids really, really like sportsmen's. I must have my... Sportsmen's. My, like, if I could drop everything tomorrow and just have, like, a dream job, it would be opening a preschool and just chilling way near like the countryside or like near a mountain where it's pretty and there's flowers. If I could stop doing everything tomorrow and just go do one thing, it would be holding a really cool preschool out and like being able to try different education practices and like teach kids a cool way. I would love to do that. They're also just so cute. I always really, really like kids. But in terms of developmental psychology, I'm very interested in learning and how people learn and how you can help to, to learn better. Especially people who struggle to learn within like the normal school format. I think that we've done things in a certain way for so long. And obviously my name is different, but I think that a lot of schools are still doing things that way. And it just cuts out this massive subset of kids who struggle to learn later and yeah. being helped to learn better. So that's my lovely way of saying that I immensely saw just a child and the lovely type. <laughs> I love it. Whatever excuse to hang out with yeah. kids, take your juice box. <laughs> oh my. I think let's briefly transition into your future before your palms get sweaty and you get nervous. Most people have no idea, but what does the immediate future look like, like the next year? So Taiwan, which I'm very, very, very excited about. I think that my view of Taiwan has changed so much, speaking to underclassmen and upperclassmen who were there. It just sounds like such an awful city and I'm so excited about it. And then London after that, which I'm also incredibly excited about I'm going to see some friends there but then after that I am still not 100% sure I'm probably going to stay in the US just out of using my OPT I think that I'll probably stay here my ideal would be to find something that crosses psychology education and 
something innovative. Okay. I hope that that sounds strange, but something in between science, education, and innovation, specifically neuroscience and psycho psychology. But I don't truly know what yet. That might just be a summer camp. Yeah. Something like in that space. But I think that something in the US to do with education would be amazing. And I'll probably hang out here for a couple of years, use up my RPT, and then see what life takes me. Yeah. That sounds exciting. It could be cool. And we're fed in London as well. Like, for sure. We need to graduate. That's, that's a good thing. Well. Yeah, let's not start thinking too far. You've got to. <laughs> that's, that's the first step, and no one see from there. Yeah. Very nice. Okay, let's let's dive into the fast fire round of questions. Don't think much about it. Give her a relatively short answer. Okay. Let's go. What's a TV show or movie that you'd recommend? Always a fan of The Office. I know that it's cringy and terrible, but it is my comfort show. I love it so much. Dinner with somebody who is no longer alive. Who would you pick? Nelson Mandela. Any old? Amazing. Dogs or cats? Dogs. What's your spirit fruit? Fruit? Yeah. Oh, Michi. Oh, great shout. If you could put up a billboard in a really busy space like Times Square or downtown San Francisco, what would it say? Look up. And okay. In many ways, I think. Yeah. Very big fan of the sky. I like an uncle. And then lastly, what is your word of the day? Bus. Oh, I like some <laughs> Okay. You've got your hands in lots of things, and I'm sure people will want to ask you questions or just reach out. What's the best way for people to find you? Probably Telegram, Kate Dogfruit, um, F-O-U-R-A-E. Um, otherwise, my Instagram or LinkedIn, you're welcome to find me in a minute. And then you mentioned the psychology lab. If people want to partake in that, how do they do that? So it's going to be a little bit different next to you, but welcome to reach out to me and I can give you the most updated information. But yeah, if they want to take part in research, they can email our, our email account, which is just psychologylab.minova.edu, and we should get a response for me. Great. Thank you so much for your time, Kate. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at humansofminerva.podcast for all the latest updates and announcements. And finally, special thanks to our editor, Ang Lilian, for working her magic on this episode. Thanks for listening to Humans of Minerva.